Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Chris Chinchilla. Just a short episode this week. I have some interviews in process, but none quite ready. And I want to keep the momentum going because I feel like I've lost it a little bit over the past few weeks. And I want to make sure I sort of get back into it. So let's start with just a handful of small links and then some updates. And then I will see you next week. So my first article is from the Columbia Journalist Review by Daniel Tovrov. And this is about Newsweek, or I like the title sort of, although it doesn't necessarily um, kind of relate to what the body of the subject is about. Really, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, Dropshipping journalism. Um, It's sort of about Newsweek and about how the quality of journalism at Newsweek has rapidly declined, or the pressure on journalists has forced the quality to decline. This uh, kind of rush for the clicks, the rush for headlines that are controversial, the rush for pumping out as much content as possible, and where does quality long-form researched content fit into all that. The article is interesting. I mean, it's about a specific publication, and it is also most specifically about the Newsweek website. The magazine is a little different, although there is some coverage on the magazine, and it has suffered as well. The interesting thing I found here, and this is not a new story, I've, I've read this before about other publications, is that the owners of lots of old um, publications in the past few years have, have kind of become more obsessed with data and metrics. They're not necessarily from publishers, they're from, I don't know, uh, investors, they're from um, venture capital companies, they're from marketing companies, they're, they're people who are obsessed with the data. And I suppose online journalism has allowed us to be obsessed with the data, possibly to a point of extreme. And I suppose this this tickled something in my mind because, I mean, I don't work for Newsweek. (laughs) Of course, I don't work for anything nearly as reputable. Although, if you read the article, maybe you'd wonder if actually we're not that different. And especially that some of the technical content, some of the technical sites I've written for actually pay better than sites like Newsweek. Um, And this is also not a new phenomenon. Even big technical publications or tech news publications, as I like to call them, pay less than some of the more technical outlets I tend to write for, which is why I do it, to be honest with you. But I suppose it's this great rush for content, and I'm contributing to it myself. I've had a lot of work recently doing marketing blogs. I've started to wind it down a bit, so has my wife, so have many people I know, this constant rush to pump out as much content as possible. And what is it doing to the internet, to writers, to the value of writers? The more we create, the less valuable they become, of course. And how do we stop the, 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 the train, the ship, and now it's in momentum? If everyone is just racing with each other to out-compete on qu- quantity of content, not necessarily quality, how do we stop it? Uh, it's like the, well, it's very reflective, actually, of a sort of microcosm of the economy itself, this constant rush for growth. Uh, we kind of know it's hurting us, but how do we stop? You kind of need everyone to stop, and that's hard to coordinate. So, yes, this is an article specifically about this fact at Newsweek, but it, 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 it triggered me to think about this a lot. And maybe I will, if I ever get time, write more about this subject, uh, just to add to the noise out there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, this is, this is the whole thing. We like to have our opinions. We're kind of told this is what we should do now, but there's so much of it. How do we all, how do we all compete? Yes. How do we all compete for hearts, for minds, for revenue? It is very 
very difficult. And in all this maelstrom, where is the space for the long research piece that people are trying to write books that take months to write, the long-term research pieces that are getting harder and harder to fill in certain outlets? Where will it all end? Your answers in an email or in a tweet or in a blog post, if you like, please. You can find more details at christianchiller.com slash contact. Next, uh, a few articles around the subject of SoftBank and WeWork. I think I started this story last week, but I have been keeping an eye on SoftBank for some time. I've always been somewhat skeptical of the company. This is particularly an article on Vice from Edward Anguissot. How SoftBank, or how Soft, how WeWork's in, well, maybe I should just read the title. <laughs> WeWork's implosion shows how SoftBank is breaking the world. This is something uh, that I have always found interesting and why no one has really noticed what SoftBank was doing before. They invested in lots of companies, lots of big companies that have not really made money. And seemingly their owner has limitless pockets. There's actually a quote in the article about how he just doesn't actually seem to care if these companies lose money, which is kind of crazy. I still don't entirely understand where SoftBank got their money from in the first place and why it's near limitless. But I suppose if Uber collapses, you have lots of empty vehicles and lots of um, suddenly unemployed, although, of course, there's the argument where they're employed anyway, drivers. If WeWork implodes, you have lots of empty real estate. Um, I actually almost feel <laughs> this was something that popped into my mind over the past couple of weeks that if WeWork collapses, um, it could actually be the trigger for a recession that is due to come because they have so much empty real estate then. I don't know. Uh, there's also a lot of demand for real estate, so maybe it will get filled very quickly. Who knows? But it was something that was concerning to me. And he, 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 often the triggers can come from the strangest places. But um, if if something has become well, WeWork is not it's not something you could argue has become too big to fail. Not really. But um, if something very big fails and it can cause a vacuum, that is a problematic vacuum. And I suppose the question is: uh, Are how did we let this happen? How did we get so excited about these companies? How how does the, it actually relates a little bit to the last story, this constant quest for growth uh, that we constantly have has um, caused all sorts of, um, all sorts of, yeah, problems, I guess. And the article also poses the question that uh, a lot of these companies talk about changing for positivity and these sorts of things. And I don't know if anyone ever really thought that uh, Uber or WeWork were really doing that, but that's the mantra that they, they push and promote. Um, and why should we believe them when basically they have, no motivation to actually make money compared to their competitors because of this bankrolling. But when the cards are on the table, when it comes to something like an IPO, then we suddenly realize how bad it really was and it causes jitters all throughout the system. And the article does dig into how SoftBank continues to make money anyway, and they actually do it on loan refinancing, which is a horrible business. They actually make money out of other people defaulting on loans and then use that to ironically fund projects that probably also need loans. Uh, I'm not sure if that's part of the model, but anyway. <laughs> and the article also digs into some of my other issues, especially with WeWork, in that they branded themselves as this very disruptive business when really they weren't. They're just a real estate business, but also that they took over lots of other companies um, who they're now also kind of burying along with them, and more of that in a minute. And thus bringing down other companies that were doing just fine. I suppose they didn't have to accept the uh, the takeover bids, I guess would be the argument there, and causing a bigger implosion all because they just had this lot of money that they really didn't have to worry too much about. Uh, venture capital is, I think, has been a somewhat broken model for some time. Interestingly, I was having this discussion with some people this week 
in that there are actually plenty of, of pretty good tech companies that do just all right. They're not huge. They're not uh, constantly pushing. They're not making billions, but they do all right. They have a good number of employees. The employees are happy. They put out good products. Companies like 37signals who make Basecamp, who have for many years done this, and you don't hear about them very much because they don't have crazy news to share, but they are still there. They are still ticking along. All we ever really hear about is these ones making these giant kind of splashes and crashes, and maybe that's something else we should do. Maybe we should focus more on the companies just doing a good job. And in related news is now an article by Alex Lee on Wired about Meetup, one of WeWork's acquisitions. It made a lot of sense at the time. Uh, WeWork had a network of offices that people could use to run their meetups. It kind of seemed like a batch made in heaven. And you can actually go back. I'll uh, post a link in the show notes to an interview we did with Scott, one of the founders of Meetup, before they were bought, actually. So pre-2017, I guess. I think maybe just a few months before, actually. It seemed like a really interesting match. Um, and for a period of time, it worked quite well. They didn't rework, didn't really change Meetup very much. But I guess the, the, the woes of the parent company have brought woes on the child company. Um, Meetup increased their fees again recently. In fact, in that interview, we discussed how Meetup's business model is kind of interesting. The people who do all the work pay the money. Uh, and I see this as a constant point of friction. Um, when meetup organizers ask people to pay or commit because a lot of people who attend the meetup do not realize that people actually have to pay to host meetups. And sometimes there is a little bit of a lack of respect there because they don't realize this. And the prices just went up. Basically, the more popular a group is, the more you have to pay. But the more popular a group is, does not necessarily reflect you're making any kind of revenue out of it. Getting sponsorship for meetups is quite difficult. And just because you have a large group of members doesn't even mean people come to the groups. So it's kind of a complex business model. And apparently Meetup is going up for sale again um, and has laid off 25% of its workforce. I'm possibly of the opinion that they should just maybe spin out independently again. Um, but I don't know if that would really help their financial issues. I'm not sure how well they were doing back then anyway. I don't know if there's any other obvious people to take it over. Um, possibly, actually, this is going to be an interesting one. LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn started doing their own form of uh, events recently. I haven't seen the feature pop up, but um, but it was more for business events. And whereas Meetup does have this kind of aspect of, uh, well, not just business events. You have gaming events, which I go to a lot, social events, all these sorts of things. The other ob obvious one would be Facebook. I don't know if anyone would want that to happen. <laughs> Meetup is nicely independent. Maybe Eventbrite. I don't know, here's a few people that could buy a meetup. But actually it being independent would probably be more interesting and better and less controversial and concerning. If you refer back to the article I was just talking about, we work also acquired a few other companies. What will happen to them remains to be seen, of course. I don't really know how much the WeWork acquisition helped a meetup, to be honest with you. Um, I found the fact that you were able to hire rooms at WeWork never very helpful. I could never find anything available on the days I wanted it available, despite Berlin having five WeWorks, I think. Um, or, yeah, and even then when we did run them, getting in and out of the buildings was insanely complicated. You kind of needed someone who was a member there, really. So I don't know how much benefit it brought to them, possibly something they regret now, but hindsight is a wonderful thing. Again, if you have any ideas on the future of Meetup, then please let me know at christianchiller.com slash contact or on Facebook, facebook.com slash christianchiller.
And finally, a bit of a niche topic for me. 9 to 5 Mac. So this is obviously a Mac article by Benjamin Mayo. Apple is rejecting electron-based applications from the App Store. I have predicted this would come. I don't think I've vocally predicted it for some time. Apple is getting stricter and stricter with what it lets into the Mac App Store and with the advent of Catalyst, this ability to create uh, macOS versions of, of iPad applications. I kind of saw this coming. Electron, if you don't know, is a way of creating native, in quote, very heavy quote mark, applications from web technologies. So Slack is a sort of Electron application. Um, that's probably the most famous one. Lots of chat applications actually are. Electron has got better, but it still has its problems. They can be very memory-heavy applications and CPU-heavy applications. If people like Slack um, do a good job of porting, then it can be okay. But a lot of people just whack it in an Electron shell and off you go. So there's a lot of bad applications uh, made possible by Electron. So, again, what this will mean, what this will lead to, who knows whether they, they, they're, they're highlighting certain APIs, but it's an automated system, so it's not very subtle. But, of course, it requires the Electron community to, to do the work to, to remove the APIs that Apple wants out. And whether the community will do that is, is of course, another question and whether there'll be a constant kind of arms race between Apple and the Electron community. Whether Apple will continually push people to use Catalyst instead, which so far the results of applications made with uh, Catalyst have not been great. So there's not a tremendous amount of motivation there. I checked out the Twitter version and went straight back to Twitterific. It really was pretty shonky. I think the concern here, the growing concern for a lot of macOS users, especially users like myself, is, is this the beginning of other trends. Um, at the moment, does it matter? Because you could install the application from somewhere else. You could just download it from the company's website. But will there come a time when you can't do that? And that is a bigger concern to many people. If everything has to go through the App Store, this slows down development. It means certain applications will be harder to develop. And this walled garden that Apple is famous for will slowly but surely come to the macOS and possibly kill it. So who knows? That was my links for the week. A few small events to tell you about. I will be in Stuttgart next week from uh, the 12th to the 14th, running some uh, meetups <laughs> in the, the the traditional meaning of the sense. Um, if you're into tech communications and down there, come say hi. Uh, I will be at Data Natives here in Berlin and running a side event with the Ethereum Foundation, actually, on the 19th of November. And then I'm going back to 5G Tech Tree in Riga, from the 27th to the 29th of November to hear all about progress or lack thereof in 5G. So check out those at christianchiller.com slash events. One other quick thing I want to tell you about, uh, a few things to promote. I have been working on my second book. It's coming along nicely, a bit behind schedule, of course, but it's still coming along nicely. But I made a little interactive roleplay game some time back that I forgot to tell anyone about. <laughs> this is based on my One Day the World Ended world, I suppose, where the world ends for some random reason and then it allows kind of experimentation around what came next. I made a little sort of uh, every session is unique roleplay game. Uh, it's on itch. You can find it on christianchiller.itch.io. I only have one project there at the moment. Basically, it's an app with some very simple rules. You generate a random reason why the world ended. You generate a random world that comes next and some random players and the players have to discover 
how the world ended. Um, it's sort of a something of a sandbox game. Fairly simple. Um, if any of that sounds appealing, then go and check it out. It's pay what you feel, uh, but all what you feels appreciated. That is the weekly squeak for another week. I will have a few have a few interviews scheduled coming up very soon. Um, interviews with actually some projects by some ex Uber engineers and an APM monitoring application monitoring project, also with uh, Grafana and a whole bunch of other people coming up very soon. So until next time, if you have been, thank you very much for listening. Yeah.